0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, all Welcome back to a Friday, August 4th, 2023 edition here on the Chase Thomas podcast. Slight delay in the MLB trade winners and losers uh, reaction pod here. So apologize on that front uh, to have this out a day later on a Friday talking all things major league baseball major league baseball trade deadline with fan own zone john taylor on our weekly take graphs mlb show at this time usually thursdays every single week but friday this week so apologize in that front but a lot to talk about on this edition of the program. We talk about uh, who were the winners and losers of the trade deadline this year. The Braves not adding a starter. The Orioles adding Jack Flaherty. The Astros and Rangers and their mega arms race and how the ALS will shake out there. The Red Sox and the, and the Yankees standing pat. Uh, what's going on with the Yankees in general going forward? The Brewers doing a little bit uh, to make uh, their NL Central chase. uh a little bit uh clearer uh here at the top and just where uh where the MLB hierarchy stands after uh, a lot of big moves like Verlander, Scherzer, flaherty and company all get moved here at this year's MLB trade deadline and why an expanded postseason actually kind of limits how many fireworks can actually happen at the trade deadline because of so many teams uh kind of feeling like they just need to get to 85 wins or so and then they have a they have a chance so you don't have to go all the way in anymore as you did uh in years past so all that and more with fangraph's own john taylor all that coming up next hey y'all thanks for checking out the chase on podcast if you are not already a subscriber and this is your first time listening welcome to the show appreciate you guys checking out uh what we've got cooking here on the program Um, if you enjoy what you hear today, please make sure you hit that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player, new episode, new content every single day, Tennessee Vols, Atlanta sports guys, sports reporters, assemble NFL, NBA, college football, all that and more right here on this feed each and every day, your favorite writers, analysts, personalities in the space on this very feed every day. So if you like that you like the best national sports talk with a local flavor outside of here in Knoxville, Tennessee, then this is the show for you. So make sure you're locked in on your preferred podcast player. And if you're already a subscriber, you know what I'm about to say, but if you could please leave this show, a five-star rating and write a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or however you're listening, I promise you it helps this show continue to grow, helps other people find the show and all that good stuff. So if you could take a second, Today, and you're already a fan, you love the show, tell a friend, family member, co-worker, whoever, about the Chase Ons podcast as we get bigger and bigger each and every day here in Tennessee. I would greatly appreciate it. Five-star review, or five-star rating. Write a review. I promise it helps in a major way. Takes a second. Hit that pause button. Take care of it today. And uh, yeah, we greatly appreciate it
1: chase thomas podcast. the chase thomas
0: podcast um, <laughs> my nephew needs me to record
1: see i hate i already hate it i
0: hate it all right hello and welcome back to another episode of the chase thomas podcast where i'm still the a for mentioned chase thomas coming to you live from knoxville tennessee everything school hq today's hell john because drew gilbert is a new york mat and because um life's not fair And because um, the sports gods have no interest in bringing any sort of favor to me and enjoying the professional career of my favorite Tennessee baseball player of all time, Drew Gilbert, Um, of course, of course, right as he's getting ready to get called up sooner rather than later because of how much he's just uh, raking uh, across the the minor leagues, the Astros send him to the Mets in a Justin Furlander. Just banger. Biggest biggest trade, I think, probably, um, of the deadline. What what say you? How are you, John?
1: One, I like that you let off with Drew Gilbert, just keeping Mm -hmm. true to the brand uh, of this podcast, which is this is a Tennessee baseball podcast that occasionally talks about Major League Baseball. Yes. Um, You know, it was an interesting deadline. I wouldn't call it a busy deadline. I wouldn't even particularly call it a fun deadline. It was pretty Mm. muted all the way around, with the exception... Uh, the, I think the Verlander trade was really the only one on Tuesday that I, I think made me go, "Whoa, that's a big, that's a big move right there." Uh, everything else was more tinkering around the margins. I think for a lot of teams, I feel like a lot of teams got their shopping done in the week prior. Mm. Uh, certainly, the Angels with Lucas Giolito, who immediately got blown to pieces uh, in his start against the Braves today, or uh, was it yesterday or today? Where you got today, today, okay. Uh, the Rangers, obviously, and getting both Max Scherzer and Jordan Montgomery. You know, those, I think those moves kind of happening when they did took a lot of the energy out of the deadline. I also think because the deadline extended now for some reason all the way to 6 p.m. as opposed mm-hmm. to 4 p.m. like normally, um, there was a, re- I remember around 11 to 1, there was just a really long dead period where nothing happened. Mm-hmm. So definitely not one of the more exciting deadlines, but an interesting one nonetheless. And I think one that, pretty much cements I think it honestly cements what we the status quo coming into the deadline I think that's the other thing about this deadline is it did not really shake much of anything up this was not a mm. chaos deadline like last year uh this was very much a contenders adding pieces that will help them and everyone else pretty much stays uh stays quiet you know yeah I think in part because this was a seller's market particularly if you had pitching to offer uh pitchers pulled down some very good returns be it rental or otherwise but i also think that this is just part of the post third wildcard world in mm. that if you are is this
0: your take of the week is this your take graphs take of the week
1: i think i mean it's 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 a it's a cousin to the take i had a few weeks ago which was or maybe even a month or so ago whenever it was where i said this is going to be a quiet trade deadline this is not going to be a crazy one it's not going to be a busy one we're not going to see a Juan Soto type deal, and we didn't. I think the closest we got was Verlander, and truthfully, forty year old, forty one year old, however old Justin Verlander is now, uh, he does not. He doesn't move the needle in the same way that either Juan Soto did last year, or even say when when Max Scherzer was traded to the Dodgers uh, three years ago now, two whenever whenever exactly that was. I can't remember which deadline now that was, but. I think when you're at a place where there is such not just a clear division between here are the good teams, here are the bad teams, but also there's one extra playoff spot, and in both leagues you don't really have to do a whole lot to get to that point. Like you know, mm-hmm. you look at you you look at where things stand right now, in our and our postseason odds now post deadline um, projected here. The, I mean, the teams in the American League wild card race, for example, the Red Sox are projected to finish with 85 wins, the Blue Jays with 88, the Yankees with 84. The Twins, who will probably win the Central, but, you know, around that same 84. The Mariners at 83. The Angels at 83. Similarly, over on the National League side, you have the Marlins projected 84 wins. The Phillies at 87. Uh, the Reds at 84. The Cubs at 83. The Padres at 84. The Giants at 86. The Diamondbacks at 84. What I'm basically getting at is the, the minimum bar to entry for a postseason spot now is roughly 82 to 84 wins, depending uh, depending on the league. That's mm. not very hard to get to. That's a 500 record for all intents and purposes. Most teams don't need to do anything to get to a 500 record, you know? Mm. And, and I think you saw that, especially with the fact that of those wildcard teams that are in that race, I mean, the Red Sox did nothing. The Yankees did nothing. The Angels did a lot, but I think their situation is 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 unique because of Shohei Otani. The Mariners sold. The Phillies added Michael Lorenzen, and that was pretty much it. The Marlins the Marlins actually did a lot, and I, and, and I think when... You know, when we're talking about the trades and, and the the winners losers aspect of it, I think the Marlins came out uh, as having probably one of the better deadlines of any team. But the Reds did nothing. Uh, the Brewers did some soft buying. The Padres did some soft buying. The Giants didn't really do anything. The Diamondbacks, I think the Diamondbacks were another team that did some small moves that will probably be good for them overall. But you didn't really see any of those teams that were that we could call in the wild card race or on the margins of the wild card race really make that big move to push themselves very much into that conversation i mean you could argue that probably the team that did the most in that regard was toronto or miami Mm. and they're both and toronto at least is pretty securely in a postseason spot right now miami is more on the edge but i think there is a a, an incentive maybe for the marlins that probably isn't there for other teams i also think that the marlins given how their team is constructed a little different than say you know and, and i think this is true the yankees the red sox the giants teams that are both not good enough i think for us to consider them real contenders. But not bad enough for them to have gone into the deadlines, you know, being like sell, sell, sell. You know, they're not the White Sox, they're not the Cardinals, they're not, um, they're not any other team. I think obviously probably the best example of this, and again, granted, team team construction is a huge con- contextual factor here. But the Orioles, who again, when we talk winners losers, I think we were both going to agree that they had a terrible deadline with regards to actually improving the 2023 roster and cementing their postseason position. But at the same time, I think the calculus for all these teams is just get to 85 wins. If you get to 85 wins, you're probably going to make the postseason. And if you don't, who really cares? 85 wins is, a, is somewhere between fourth through sixth in the in the seeding, which probably doesn't amount to anything. Although you could immediately turn around and argue the Phillies were the sixth seed last year and they made it to the World Series. The Braves, how many wins did the, did the Braves have when they won the World Series in 2021? Uh, was it upper 80s? Somewhere in that somewhere in that range, and they were a wild yeah. card team as well, obviously. Yeah. Um. So I mean, you can so you can look at it two ways. One is that you know the the addition of that third wild card deadens the competition in a way. It, it kind of dissuades teams from having to do that much because again, eighty five wins will probably get you in, and most of these teams were on course for that, but without doing anything in the first place. Anyway, the other way of looking at it, yeah, the other way of looking at it is. They all a lot of these teams, and again, the, the Orioles, the Yankees, the Red Sox, um, I think to a certain degree, the Phillies missed a big opportunity. I think to do more and add more uh, to put themselves in a better position. But again, part of that too is that baseball is a bloodless, risk-averse sport. Now, when it comes to uh, when it comes to trades, particularly when it comes to roster management, teams are very efficiency-oriented. They fetishize uh, uh, years of team control. Uh, league minimum salaries, uh, you know f- uh, what we call future value over at Fangraphs—the so kind of uh, grading system we have for our prospects—and and you know maintaining a deep base of of minor leaguers they can use to to fill roster spots. I think that makes more sense for some teams than it does for others. Again, I think Baltimore is a team that really should be taking advantage of the fact that they have an enormous deep farm system to go out and get uh, tangible upgrades on the 2023 roster, but. Regardless, I I just think that when you don't have that incentive to go out and get more and get better, you're gonna get a deadline like this where even though there are a lot of teams clustered together in that wild card race, the only teams that are actively trying to do anything are the ones that are very safely I think in a division winning position, which is to say Texas and Houston and uh who am I forgetting here that also was a, is a division leader the Dodgers although that are what would have been I think their biggest trade got blown up obviously Brewers did a little bit. Brewers did a little bit. I think Atlanta got out ahead and did some stuff. I mean, th- and that that's also Atlanta different, though. That's not a roster that really needed to be, uh, I think, torqued or tweaked all that much. You, different minds may argue, and I get the sense that our Tennessee baseball podcast is about to revert to its other format, which is a Braves podcast that occasionally talks about the other 29 teams. But well, you tell me, Well, you tell me then if you're if you're a Braves fan coming out of this deadline where Atlanta didn't really do much of anything. What is your mindset now, especially knowing that the NL East, you know, with the Mets having officially given up, with the Phillies not really looking like they're going to be anything more than probably what they were last year?
0: But that's a team that went deep in the postseason last year, and I, it is, I think they I, got better. And I like—I don't hate what it's just like if we. It's so hard because no one really dipped their toes in all that much outside of like the Angels, who were like, we're, we're going and they're yeah. Rangers. I mean, I guess
1: I, I should have brought them up too. The Angels were the one, the I think the other wild card team aside from the Marlins that really went all in. But again, I think the very very important qualifier there is because they have Shohei Ohtani yeah. and because he is leaving at the end of the season, um, which we can have a whole long debate about whether or not they should have sold. But obviously, that was you know that and I I'm saying I'm not taking a victory lap on this one because I don't feel like it. But it's like. That just felt that just felt natural to me. I just did not get the sense that they were going to sell, and that's not from having talked to anybody. I don't I don't know anybody, and I don't have any insider information anywhere. But just that sense that a guy like Artie Moreno, for as much of a craven idiot as he is, is also not the kind of guy who's basically going to throw away, for all intents and purposes, the singular reason people want to go to Angels games this year, or mm-hmm. for what's left of the season. And to a certain degree, if you're the Angels, you know, yeah, you can argue that it is probably not the smartest move. But you know, future-wise, to to give up prospects for rental players when you are, you know, projected to be an eighty-three win team and not in the postseason picture. But on the other hand, who cares? You know, yeah. are, do you really think people are going to come out in the yard three years from now to see Edgar Cuero and Kai Bush and whatever other mediocre prospects the Angels sent out for guys who actually help now? Well, it doesn't on. matter in this like, scenario.
0: I, Joe Adele is just like a, a multi-year all-star at this point. It's
1: going to happen eventually, but. I mean, I think that more so with the Braves is less about the the Phillies are... are, I don't think the Phillies are bad. It's more that they are going to win the NL East, the Braves, that is, without really any, I think, effort. And I think that's the
0: thing. Like, the Phillies... like Everyone knows the Braves are winning the NL East. And the Phillies and Marlins operated... Like, they didn't go all the way in. But they're both two good teams that I think are going to be feisty come postseason. Like, I think they're both teams that I could see making a deep postseason run. For different reasons, but in terms of the Braves, Nicky Lopez, very handsome, very handsome trade, and it yeah. cost. I
1: think. Well, I think if you want to talk like the best trades, just in terms of like a pure like, the Braves getting Nicky Lopez from the Royals, and I, I boy, the freaking Royals, the Royals giving up Nicky Lopez for a player the Braves had picked up off of waivers or or sent <laughs> or sorry, they they'd acquired from the Rangers for just cash like yeah. a week earlier. It's one of those things that makes me that makes me wonder how on earth anyone in the Royals front offices still has a job today. But regardless, I think on a pure like like on a pure like trade level, that was just they literally got something for nothing, which is remarkable yeah. to me.
0: Alex Anthopoulos loves acquiring lefty relievers. Like he, he does, loves he just does love that. That's one of his favorite things. So Brad Hand, he'll probably be fine. And like they beefed up the bullpen a little bit. I think they'll be fine there. What they're doing though, which kind of scares me is just Max Fried should be back soon, right? Max Freed has made to, he's five starts this he's year. He's
1: supposed to start on Friday, yeah.
0: Five starts to this point. Mm-hmm. One more step back and he's not ready until the postseason. Like, you're just walking on eggshells here because it's go time. You don't want him ramping up again come postseason after this the kind of year that he's said. Kyle Wright's giving you nothing. And it's scary because he's got shoulder issues. Like, I would not pencil in Kyle Wright for a deep postseason run no i i didn't...
1: expect i expect he's not going to pitch again this season
0: and there you go a.j smith Schauber is 20 years old he got dinged up on sunday we'll see he's okay but he is also very 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 20 years old
1: yeah i, I don't see him right now as being an impact guy for the braves
0: charlie morton has been very aaron harangi this year
1: a lot of up and down from charlie yeah morton.
0: You don't trust him as your number two in a postseason series. You don't trust um, Michael Soroka, for sure. I don't think that's coming back, at least not in a Braves uniform. Bryce Elder, I mean, he's 24. That's a big ask for him to be one of your main three cogs. I see
1: see him more as being a guy where you're asking him to get through the lineup maybe twice, and then you're turning it over to the bullpen. So you're asking maybe four innings out of him in a postseason start.
0: If you had told me before the deadline that the Braves would not acquire at least one arm. I didn't think they would make a big splash in the start, but like a Lance Lynn type. That yeah. they would not do that like a, a Dallas Keuchel that they've done in years past. That they would yeah. not go out and get somebody like that just as a hey we expect feedback and then Bryce and John and Charlie Morton and whatever like we can we can patch things through because we have the best pitcher in the NL and he's pitching at another worldly level again uh 200k to this point. Spencer Strider is just I, a, I love a freak that, of nature.
1: I love that Spencer Strider set a record for fewest innings to get to 200 strikeouts, a record that was set by Spencer Strider last year. He yes. has now set and broken his own record for for fastest to 200 strikeouts. He's he's absolutely crazy.
0: For sure. And I was kind of surprised they didn't do I think they could probably just sign someone um off the scrap heap, but enough of a drop off for azuna and company that you're like ooh, i wonder if they beefed that up just a little bit but the offense isn't the issue i was just surprised they didn't go after maybe the the, the asking price because this was a seller's market that the asking price for um someone who they may have had like jack flaherty was someone that made a lot of sense and when you look at the package that the orioles got for jack flaherty and this can kind of lead into that um it kind of fit what the orioles were going to do right we were like oh verlander why would you not just go out and get verlander this this makes too much sense and they go and do the the very baltimore thing which is like what if we just got like a?
1: (laughs) what if if we got a fourth starter yeah (laughs) what if we build the entire rotation out of four starters
0: and better young guys because like that's the thing is like i don't want to kill baltimore because i don't want it's still positive they're still going to make the playoffs they still very much might win the al east which is unbelievable when you consider before the year and the amount of talent because like no one's really having the season from outside the yankees who still are gonna i mean like what'd you say 84 wins if yeah we, uh, we
1: have them projected if to, to uh to finish with 84 wins albeit in last place in the division
0: yeah but like that's all very close, right? Like the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Blue Jays, and they're they're just all right there, neck and neck. And the Rays have fallen off a little bit. That like who knows what happens. And they're like Cashman's betting on, um, I guess these guys to get healthy. But Deming I, I think... now gone. I I don't want to bring it bleed into the Yankees here because I kind of want to combine them and the Red Sox and what they did. But yeah, in terms of the Orioles, when you throw out what we would have done, and like we want them to be bold. If you just look at trading for Jack Flaherty. And what that trade is and where they're headed with this core this year or like is it just is it okay for you or like was there a bigger bigger swing what if Jack Flaherty's solid is that I mean there's
1: I I think Jack Flaherty will be fine for the most part I think he will be like a four ERA guy who can give them a six inning give them six innings uh, uh, per start and be useful for them I think the issue for me with Baltimore is and, and obviously, you know, I, I, I don't know what Mike Elias is necessarily thinking for all we know that the Orioles were trying to get that big upgrade, but just figured the prices were too high. And I mean, granted, like, you know, the cost for Verlander and Scherzer for Scherzer, it was amusingly enough, Ronald Acuna's little brother, who is yep. a top 100 prospect uh, for God, Verlander. Be weird. For Verlander, it was Drew Gilbert, who is a top 100 prospect. You could argue that Gilbert was Houston's number one prospect and Luis Angel Acuna was, I think, certainly top five for Texas. You know, maybe Baltimore just did not feel comfortable with that. But on the other hand, I, I think what bugs me about what the Orioles didn't do or did do or rather didn't do is that you only get so many of these opportunities. There is no guarantee that next year's Orioles are just as good or that, you know, that the, the Orioles will be even just as good for the rest of the season. I mean, again, this is not a team like the Braves where they are comfortably in first place, have no real fear of missing out uh, on winning the division. They are tied with the Rays right now, or in in the win column. The Rays are uh, have three more losses, so they're a game and a half back. And our projections have the Rays finishing with ninety five wins and the Orioles at ninety three. You know, mm. and argue as much as you want whether you know whether that's a, a, an accurate prediction. The point is, it's very close, and it's gonna be very close through the end of the season. And there is a big difference between winning that division and ending up as a wild card. That really does impact your ability to get through the postseason. Mm. To say nothing of the fact that while I understand there is. Uh, a deep desire in Baltimore's front office to keep hoarding prospects and keep building that, or to keep, just keep all these young players to have, to have a roster that is both deep and cheap, which I I think is just the ultimate goal for as many teams as possible. You don't know what's coming. You know, you don't know how long that window is going to be open. Adley Rutschman could, uh, take the field tonight and twist a knee running out running to first base and blow out an ACL and then all yeah. of a sudden everything has changed but granted I'm not saying that the Orioles should should operate from a perspective of everything could come crashing down at any second but more that they should try to take advantage of that moment where it's like hey this team is actually this team can actually win now this team is good enough to win now this isn't like the Orioles last year or to a certain degree the year before where it felt like, oh, this is a little ahead of schedule, this is surprising, and this team isn't actually that good. Or No, this team is genuinely good. Mm. And while you could say some of that is, okay, well, they've got a really great bullpen, and how reliable can that be? And, you know, they're pitching so like, well, you can go ahead and improve those things. You know, I, 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 if the cost for Justin Verlander, who I'm not saying is not a difference, necessarily a difference-making guy at this point, but I think most people would agree, a better bet than Jack Flaherty to provide more value, not just for the rest of the regular season, but also in the postseason, was, say, Heston Kierstad or Mm. Colton Kauser. I think that's okay if you're Baltimore. I think that's all right. I think you can survive that kind of thing. You have proven over the last few years that you are one of the best player development organizations in the game right now. And part of being a great player development organization is knowing that, hey, if we deal these guys, we can replace them. We Mm. can figure something else out. We don't have to just squeeze these guys to death. I think... Uh, you know, I think that the best, the best take I've seen on it, uh, Ben Clemens did, uh, our winners and losers for fan graphs, And when he talked about the Orioles, uh, the way he put it was, and, and I, you know, I want to quote him particularly, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, oh, sorry. I completely lost the, here we go. Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson are going to be around for a long time, but it's not literally forever. The AL East is consistently one of the toughest divisions in baseball. This, sh- this is surely the best shot the O's will have at a playoff buy in the next few years based on divisional competition alone. It's criminal to let that deadline pass, to let the deadline pass by without leaning into that chance. And mm. I think I agree with them. You only have so many shots, but it doesn't matter how good you are at developing players. Doesn't matter how good your farm system is. Doesn't matter how smart your front office is. That window only stays open so long with the group of guys you have because you cannot predict what's going what's going to come next for them. So you take your shots wherever you can, and if that costs you uh, three good years of Heston Kirstad's career that only costs $600,000 a year, so be it. You can find a new Heston Kirstad, but you can't go back in time and win a division that you theoretically may have lost because you didn't do enough to, to secure it in the first place. And I think that's, that's just where I end up landing on the Orioles. I don't think they had a terrible deadline. I think the Yankees and Red Sox, for, for starters, had worse deadlines than the Orioles did. But I think they could have had a better one, particularly because they are one of the few teams with both the means and the need to get better players, and particularly with such an obvious spot to improve in the rotation.
0: Yeah, I just they're going to win the division. And I think the way if I, had to, if, I if I had Mike Liasana, my guess would be that he's looking at is like, have you like we have such a cornucopia of dudes coming in? And our lineup is going to be one of the best in baseball for the foreseeable future. And we just have dude after dude. We have Jackson Holiday coming up sooner rather than later. We just, Allie Rutschman's a huge hit. Like we're hitting everywhere in terms of the lineup. And they kind of have a Braves vibe to me. Can I say that? They kind of remind me of what the Braves are doing. And
1: They're just as bad at pitching development apparently
0: i mean that's what i'm saying like i just and then it's always like oh the random dude is the one that hit like no everyone had spencer strider uh the next uh superstar ace in the Braves pipeline it's like no like that was this just you stumbled into it and you're like oh this is for real and i think that's what the orioles are kind of betting on and i don't know if that will backfire um to this point but i do believe baltimore more so than other organizations around the sport right now deserve a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt. Or at least Mike Elias deserves a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt because I think this seems more sustainable to me. But if I'm an Orioles fan, what concerns me most is that like, the Yankees aren't going to be like this forever. The Red Sox aren't going to be like this forever. That's that's to Ben's
1: point. Like You cannot expect that the East is just going to be like this permanently. Or even for the next year, two years, however long. I think if you were to have Elias on, I guarantee that he would say this, the you know, we are focused on longer term than the 2023 season. Mm-hmm. We care about 2024 and 2025 and 2026. And the way we make sure that we're good in those years is to keep, uh, is to keep the players that we've produced and, you know, not to spend outrageously at the deadline and, and pay inflated prices for guys who are only going to be here for two months and who materially do not, maybe do not move the needle as much as we would like. To which I say, okay, I understand that. But you also have to have the flexibility and the knowledge and the, to a certain degree, the, the, the impulse, the mm. kind of mindset of the front office to pivot when the, when, the, when the path in front of you has been laid out. And you see that, you know, right now you have a great opportunity to cement yourself as not just the ALEs, the, 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 the top team in the ALEs, but arguably the top team in the American League in general. You know, and I think you can, you can make an argument. Is that Texas? Is it Houston? Is it Tampa? Is it Baltimore? Whatever. It's it's one of those teams. And you can at least stake yourself out further ahead in that conversation. I think you have to be able to understand that it's, you know, sustainability is a wonderful goal and a wonderful way to build a team. But you also have to take advantage of those moments when they're in front of you and actually just do the thing that makes your team better. You know, it it doesn't really matter how good the 2027 Orioles are going to be to a certain degree if it's coming at the expense of the 2023 Orioles. I know the the argument is we don't want to make the 2023 Orioles better at the expense of the 2025 Orioles, for example. I would argue that you got to think about it the other way around. That is, you know, however, who knows what's coming in the future in so many different ways. And again, if you're a team that is as good as the Orioles is when it comes to player development, when it comes to drafting, when it comes to all this stuff, you should have the confidence too to feel like, hey. We can afford to let Colton Kowser go, or we can afford to trade Jordan Westberg, or we can afford to trade Heston Kierstad, because we can develop another one of those guys. We know what we're doing. We're a competent, smart organization now. And I think that scarcity hoarding mindset that Elias brought to the Orioles, that obviously he developed in his time with the Astros, and it's very clear the Orioles are just trying to replicate what the Astros did and continue to do to to a certain degree, I think to, I think there is a reluctance to pivot away from that when the team is good, because I think and maybe this is also some of the issue with Baltimore. I think they expected this team to be good. I think this front office Mm -hmm. expected the Orioles to be good. I don't know if they expect them to be this good. Yeah. And I I think maybe I think maybe there's a a trepidation there in terms of, you know, is this team actually it or do we want to just kind of pump? I don't know. And I I will say, too, you know, they didn't have to target a rental. Granted, you know, a guy like a like Dylan sees I don't know how serious the White Sox ever were about moving him. I'm sure that when it when they did take calls, they were telling teams that they wanted a boatload of prospects in exchange. Maybe that wouldn't have been the move. But, what would so, have been the
0: Giolito equivalent for Baltimore based on what Giolito went for to the Angels? What do you think it would have been?
1: In terms of the prospects they dealt? Yeah. Um... It's hard to tell. I mean, this is, and uh, let me get a a plug of sorts in here, Fangraphs. This is why I really like that we have future value, because instead Mm -hmm. of having to compare prospects across uh, ordinal rankings on lists, when you don't really have the context of, okay, well, the number five guy in Baltimore system is not the same as the number five guy in the Angels system, for example. But just pulling up up our our White Sox list right now, we have Edgar Cuero, the top prospect who went to Chicago for Giolito from the Angels as a 50 future value prospect and number 61 overall uh, on our top 100. Hmm. On the Baltimore side of things, that would have been Joey Ortiz. I don't really think that Joey Ortiz is the kind of guy who, stand, who should stand in the way of making a tangible upgrade to a unit that badly needs it that could be the difference between winning a division and being the number four, the number four playoff seed and having to do this all as a wild card. That's a huge, huge difference. It does, and I, I get it. The Phillies did it last year as the number six seed. Good for the Phillies. The Phillies also had Aaron Nolan, Zach Wheeler at the top of their rotation. And mm. Bryce Harper and JT Realmuto, And it's on and on and on and on. They had really, really good players to get them through that point. Baltimore is not quite at that place, especially with regards to the pitching. They do not have that number one starter on top of that rotation. And Giolito would not have been it, nor is Jack Flaherty i i guess that's the thing like i i don't know that a rental ultimately you know changes the calculus enough for them and i mm-hmm. think that's also part of it is that i don't know that flarity really even makes all that much of a difference at the end of the day i mean he's better than presumably whatever depth starter he's how much longer in does he have on, the con- on his contract he's a free agent at the end of the season he's okay. a pure rental and i get it the tyler wells they had to send down to the minor leagues because he's been struggling grayson rodriguez does not look really fully ready yet or you know and yeah. i think I think to a certain degree, too, that's kind of messed with Baltimore because I think there was probably an expectation that Rodriguez was going to give them more than he has so far. But either way, I I just feel like, and again, without knowing what the Orioles were, who the Orioles were talking to or what was truly available, I I just feel like there was an opportunity there that they missed because of a focus and maybe too myopic a focus on the future as opposed to the present, the right now where the Baltimore Orioles are legitimately one of the best teams in the major leagues. And have as bet as good a shot as anybody else of not only winning their division but also winning the world series interesting um well let's
0: transition people love our orioles talk so i hope they're the Orioles we're fans are really
1: they're very they're hardcore they're they're back now I mean, they they spent a long time in the wilderness so and again i want to make clear like i i don't think the orioles had a i should say i, I was probably too strong i don't think they had a, a terrible deadline again i think there are teams that had worse deadlines i just think there was an opportunity missed to cement themselves as a both in the AL East race and uh, and to cement themselves going into the playoffs as a a real contender. And Granted, maybe that pitcher that they needed or wanted was just not there and just was not available. But I have to think that, you know, they could have beat or at least matched any offer that was made for Scherzer or Verlander. I think they probably could have done it. I don't know that they would have wanted to, but I think they could have.
0: Everyone's gonna be like, did they spend uh, the majority of their uh, trade deadline winners and losers in the Orioles? Yeah, because this is an Orioles podcast, folks. It is.
1: This is a Tennessee Braves Orioles podcast. Many forget. Um,
0: Getting out of the ALEs for a second. The Rangers bring in Scherzer. They bring in Montgomery. They're going for it. Mm-hmm. The Astros trade for Verlander.
1: I-, I love Jim Crane big-footing his team into trading for Justin Verlander because he realized too late... We should not have let Justin Verlander leave.
0: But hey, credit to him being like, we made a mistake. We're bringing back now. It cost a heavy penny here uh, to bring him back. But when you look at Scherzer in Texas, what Texas did and where they're at right now um, this season, and then you look at Houston, who are you banking on more getting on like get just winning this division and making a more serious World Series push? Who are you a bigger believer in now?
1: I think Houston, and I think ultimately it's because there is a depth there that I think Texas is struggling with, particularly in the bullpen. And I think this is this is an issue that I know Texas tried to address I mean, mostly by getting a role as Chapman. I'm a little surprised they didn't do more in terms of relievers. Um, I, I, you know, I, I am genuinely surprised by that. I know Will Smith has been better than expected, but Will Smith is also like 37 years old and has mm-hmm. spit the bit countless times over the last few years, so. Yeah, and, you know, I, I'm a little confused by that. Um, obviously, Houston is in a great place right now. Framber Valdez just threw a no-hitter. Their lineup looks really solid again. Uh, the emergence of Chaz McCormick has been absolutely huge for them. I think they have a better bullpen, ultimately, than Texas does. I mean, look, it, it, it's going to be close. Uh, we have, uh, on, on Fangraphs, our projections have the Astros finishing with 92 wins, the Rangers with 90 wins. We give the Astros a 64% chance of winning the division. The Rangers a 32% chance. So we like the Astros by a, by a little bit. Um, I probably line up with that. I think mm. The funny thing is I think neither Scherzer nor Verlander will really make that much of an impact for them down the stretch. I think they're those guys are more about just adding the depth, particularly in Texas' case with Jacob deGrom having blown out his elbow, with Nate Uvalde being on the injured list, not really being able to trust what you're going to get out of Andrew Haney start to start. Uh, With Dane Dunning being a guy who is very much overperforming his peripherals. And I don't think a guy you can rely on uh, as well. I think similarly to get Montgomery in that vein of we just need guys who can give us better than league average work in out of the rotation. And then set us up in the postseason to be able to mix and match with the rotation of Scherzer, Yavaldi, Montgomery. Uh, Maybe there's some work from Haney in there. Uh, Who else am I forgetting in the Rangers rotation? Uh, Mike Miner. Let's remember some Rangers. Um, I guess Martin Perez no longer really in this picture anymore. Which yeah, is, and I, I think that's also a big part of why Texas did what it did because Perez has had such a rough season. John Gray is the other name I was thinking of. I um, just I'll
0: never remember John Gray as a Ranger. No,
1: and and I think this is too like when you know when we uh, when Texas made its big rotation moves over the offseason, I think you know we talked about the the potential upside of this group is enormous, but the potential downside is a bunch of guys who either can't stay healthy or just very up and down because well, they're just, they're not the kind of consistent, you know, there's a reason that the Rangers were able to get, you know, these guys, uh, for the prices that they got them. You know, they didn't really have to overpay for any of them except for DeGrom. And in DeGrom's case, that was the most like, extreme example of if this works out, we're geniuses. If it doesn't work out crap, but, but also, you know, can
0: you imagine if we were to get, uh, of DeGrom, um, Scherzer playoff rotation for the that Rangers? Be,
1: I mean, the, I mean, the, the truth is like, there's, uh, you know, there's no there's no Scherzer if there is Degrom, and I think that's probably the most Do motivating we know that? factor for Texas. I think so. I I don't see them because again, they gave up one of their better prospects yeah. in 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 Ronald Acuna's little brother to get Scherzer, and I think that's a guy they much rather would have hung on to. Many forget I,
0: that's his actual legal name too, Ronald Acuna's Ronald little Acuna's little brother, brother Acuna. yes.
1: Um, I think a Texas team that still had a healthy Jacob Degrom would have gone with a Jordan Montgomery, and that probably wouldn't have been it. Mm -hmm. You know, because I think they would not have felt that same need to be like, we need a guy who can get it done and be an ace, you know, and that kind of uh, non-sabermetric thinking. But
0: who has bigger holes right now?
1: Probably Texas, if only because I think they have a weaker bullpen. And I think Houston is probably in a better place starting pitching wise, although I will say a lot of that depends on Christian Javier figuring things out between now and October. Um I I and I think Houston also has the benefit for whatever intangible value it has of having been in this position before, not just of winning the division, but also being a postseason team. You know, they still have all that guys on that all those guys on that roster, Altuve and Bregman and um I you know I guess not really Jose Abreu, but particularly Altuve and Bregman, but also Jordan Alvarez, who is now ideally back and healthy. You know, those guys are really, really important because they have been there too. And they they understand what this is like. They understand the pressure of being in a division race, of being in a pennant race, of being in a postseason. You know, I, I think that's something Texas doesn't really have as much. But again, it, it's at, at the end of the day, our projections have them roughly two wins apart. You know, these are roughly equal teams down the stretch. I think it's just going to come down to who can stay the healthiest ultimately. And that's also going to hold for Verlander and Scherzer because neither of them have really been able to stay consistently healthy this season. And I think, you know, again, this is that's why I don't really expect either of them to be much of a difference maker, either for the rest of the regular season or in the postseason. They're here really more as better than league average depth, in a sense. And, you know, on the one hand, it's really cool to think about Scherzer and Verlander duking it out for, for a division title. And I got to say, I kind of prefer this than to them being on the same team. Like, this is this is how aces are supposed to work. You're supposed to want these guys on different teams so they can face each other and, and you know, Give you these duels in the sun or whatnot, but mm. um you know, I I think it's for me, it's it's mostly a gut thing. I just think it's Houston. They've been there before. They're a very talented team. They have a great lineup. They have you know a, a good bullpen. I I think they're probably in a slightly better position, but ultimately, I I think it is probably going to come down to the wire for for both of them.
0: I think so too, but I think they're both playoff teams, and I think if you told me about one, like. There's both finding themselves into the World Series would not surprise me. And I think no matter what happens here, if you're a Rangers fan, you feel really good because this has gone right. They're a, a case study of like going all in the last two years. And, yeah. hey, they finally they made their way in. They're going to be the, a playoff team.
1: The good thing is all it's cost them up until uh, acquiring Scherzer is money. Yeah. You know, they, they have not had to touch their farm system, really. And. This is also a team that has done well enough with player development in the past that I think they can survive uh, losing out on Acuna and Tacoa Roby and uh, the handful of other guys they sent over to St. Louis and to... Um, uh, well, they didn't really give them much up for Aroldis Chapman, but yeah. either way... I, well, always the Royals I, were on the other line. Yeah. It, boy, you, you talk about a team that just really... I, I don't understand why the fans there even care anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't. Oh, this team Kansas was in the City World City
0: Series Royals. a decade ago, John.
1: Remember, when, remember, I remember, and it feels less so now because the Orioles are good again. But remember when that ALCS was Royals Orioles and we were like, has the entire universe shifted completely off its axis? And then no, things were normal again. I feel like NFL fans had a similar moment when it was like the Bengals and the Bills were the two best teams in the AFC yeah. and everyone was like, that just does not compute in the least. Yeah. Um. But it seems like the universe is also reorienting things that direction. So... I don't know maybe maybe that's just a thing that has to happen once every 10 years or so bottom feeders just randomly get their moment in the sun um, because everything just happens to come together right and then they go back to trekking through the desert Well, this is like the biggest fear if
0: you're an Orioles fan it's like yeah you're doing a great job but also like the world doesn't allow the Orioles to be contenders for seven years straight the universe
1: is not the universe is not comprised of Orioles fans yeah The when the Big Bang happened, the first thing that came out of the ether was not the was not the Orioles mascot. You know. No,
0: but it might have been uh, whichever. I'm trying to think of which Andalus it is who had the the big collar because I was oh, like the Big uh, Bang the, and the big yeah, collar. Yeah,
1: the, the fail son who currently runs the team and wants to move them to Nashville. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's. I mean, that's also like look. Orioles fans have some checks out. generally, but. And Um, yes, that makes perfect sense that the Angelos fail son wants to move them to Nashville. It's just it is the least serious place you could put you could put a baseball team, I think, in the United States, aside from Las Vegas, which is also getting a baseball team. So.
0: Go Rob Manfred. Um. The Yankees and Red Sox. Your Red Sox did not do anything. I think you uh, anticipated Arias. them not it. doing anything.
1: Yeah, I, I, Heim Bloom has made it very, very clear in his tenure as a Red Sox general manager, president of baseball operations, or whatever his title is. Uh, that he is not particularly a fan of the trade deadline and does not care paying for the prices that the trade deadline requires. Is
0: that all it is? Is just the prices that twice stays away?
1: Yeah, I think... And he made it pretty clear when he talked to reporters afterward and, and just leaned heavily on, we don't want to sacrifice the future, we don't want to sacrifice the future, we don't want to sacrifice the future. I mean, look, if you're gonna... And this is... I, I've said this, I feel like, a million times, but when you hire the guy or one of the guys who ran the raise mm. to do the raise thing with your team... <laughs> That means there's not going to be a there's not going to be a whole lot of trading. There's not going to be a whole or at least a whole not a whole lot of trading of the kind you see at the deadline where you're giving up prospects for rentals or where you're shipping dudes mm-hmm. out for superstars. That's just not going to happen. The whole emphasis, the whole focus is on sustainable, uh, sustainable farm system that provides just endless waves of cheap three win players, and that's this Red Sox team too. And I think they've, you know, the, the West coast road trip they just went on where they were just not particularly good. And given their position in the postseason race, you know, I I said it earlier, this team was too good to be a seller and not good enough to be a heavy buyer. And I think that left them in a weird middle ground where they just, well, can I ask you because of that?
0: So they're in this weird middle ground, right? Yeah. They've kind of been in this weird middle ground for years now well and that's
1: the, this is the annoyance as a red Sox fan is that they've been in this bridge year for three years at this point
0: that's what it's felt like from the outside and i i did i wondered if from red Sox fan if they felt the same way that you're yes. just in a perpetual bridge
1: well i think the, the frustrating thing with, for me with with bloom and the way the red Sox operate is well i understand and appreciate the desire to build that sustainable farm system because during mm. the dave dombrowski years for as much as you know i, I the world series was fantastic that's that 2018 team was a juggernaut, the cupboard was left not entirely bare, but they, that team, that regime did not do a good job drafting. They did not do a good job in player development, you know, in, in part necessitating some, but not all. And I will never defend the Mookie Betts trade, but some of the moves made afterward in terms of we need to regain some of this depth in our farm system so that when guys get hurt or when guys underperform, we have guys available to replace them who are capable of producing it at very least a league average level. And so we don't have to do things like, well, Zach Godley is just going to pitch all of our innings now, like Mm. it was in 2020. The problem with that is, again, and I think it's kind of similar to what the Orioles have, it's not really taking into account that there are things happening on the field right now with guys who you cannot guarantee will be this good or perform like this again next season, or the season after that, or whatever it gives you. Mm. To say nothing of the fact that the fans, you know, the reason you're ostensibly doing all of this stuff, it feels just shitty to me to tell a bunch of fans, hey, you're enjoying this team. This team's got mm-hmm. a legitimate chance to make the postseason. We don't care. No. We're still focused on the future. You guys enjoy this if you're real fans or whatever, but you know, we'll get back to you in like two years when we feel actually better. But that just seems like such a a shit way to me to treat your fan base, which is to say you just you just gotta wait forever, or not forever, but indefinitely until we decide the time is right to make this happen. What if that time doesn't come? What if two years from now, the Red Sox are still in this position where they have not really figured out how to build a full roster, in part because there is a real reluctance either to trade prospects for productive at-the-moment major leaguers or to sign free agents who will help right now because of how expensive they are. Mm. You, you like you cannot. It is impossible, I think, to build, and maybe not impossible because the Rays are showing every day that it, it's quite actually possible, but... It is very, very difficult to build a team that consistently contends if you're not going to make trades and you're not going to 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 invest in free agency. And granted, the Red Sox, you know, they they didn't entirely shy away from free agency last year. Although Masataka Yoshida was pretty much their major free agent pickup, and granted, he's been great. But at the same time, they didn't really do a whole lot of else aside from giving Rafael Devers an extension that they more or less had to because otherwise the fans would have risen up as one and beheaded John Henry. Regardless, it it just feels to me like abdication is too strong a word, but it feels to me like there is a, uh, there's not like a a real amount of feeling paid to, Hey, what about the stuff that's happening right now? And I think you hear, you get that too. When you hear uh, Red Sox players telling reporters, we would really love for this team to add. We would love for them to give us some help. We think we're good enough, like add some help to this team and we can make this happen. And the front office is it is, is under no obligation to listen to those guys, particularly if they've run the numbers and said, hey, the odds are really not good for us. The prices don't really make sense for us. None of the guys we see really uh, we think are going to be difference makers. You know, let's hold on to our chips and wait for a better opportunity. Fine. I understand that. But there is a real cost to that, at least in terms of what it says to your players, what it says to your fan base. And again, theoretically, what it says about, you know, you're you can have confidence in the future, but you can't guarantee it. You know, like I said, I, I think it's a smaller version of what the Orioles are, are are doing. I think more of my frustration with the Red Sox is if you've decided you're not going to pay the prices necessary to make the team better, then sell the pieces to make the future team better. That's what you've got to do. You can't come it, out. Like of, who? James Paxson, I think, would have been the mm. guy in that sense. And I can understand, like, the Red Sox are not in a position where they have anyone to replace James Paxson. You still have to throw enough innings to finish games, to get to the end of the season, regardless of whether or not you make the playoffs. But, but also, think,
0: what's the point of James Paxson
1: at this point? That's the frustration for me, is that if you have already decided that the 2023 team is not worth investing additional resources in when it comes to adding guys, and I know you can make the argument, oh, we're getting Chris Sale back, we're getting Trevor Story back, we're getting, shut up, shut <laughs> up, that is such, I hate that so much with all the injured players we're getting back are just as good as any deadline. No, they're not. Because, you know why? Because they're hurt, they're injured. That's why you needed to add in the first place, because you had guys who were injured and you cannot rely on them going forward. You, you're not telling me you can actually rely on Chris Sale to get out going forward. Yeah. He hasn't been able to do that for a stretch of longer than like four weeks at a time in three years. Yeah. Similarly with Story, I mean, Story hasn't played a single what MLB is the story inning this season. He should be back at some point uh, early next week, over uh, the weekend that early a, next I week. Just, I did. I did. Oh, I'm I, I, I'm so already just, I could feel the heat coming off of me. I, I think the the problem with the Red Sox. I'm sorry, and I didn't mean
0: to get you this worked up about the Red Sox. I can't help it. That's the problem. You it know what it is? It is it's it because is a we win so much down here in Atlanta. I ask that you
1: respect that. <laughs> Apologies. Um, on a happier note, though, the Yankees also didn't sell. Well, that's and I was about to get into that. I think this is why I, I look at the Red Sox and the Yankees and just look at and uh, at the deadline and go, "What were you guys doing?" Because if mm. you're not going to buy, and I think in both cases, you can make a pretty solid argument why it's not worth the Red Sox or the Yankees trading away portions of the future for rentals who aren't really going to change. I don't think like if the Red Sox had added Jack Flaherty, I don't really think that moves the needle any one real way or the other. You know what I mean? Yeah. Similarly, if the Yankees were to go out and get like Lucas Giolito, that probably doesn't do that much for them. But then if you're going to make, if you're going to, if that's what you've come down on, if that's the side you've come down on, then you've got to sell. You've yeah. got to get something, especially if the market is really, really strong for starting pitching. You've got to do something. You can't just sit on your hands and go, "Welp, whatever. Like, yeah, if you're not going to improve the present team, improve the future team. And if you're yeah. not, if you got to do one, you've got to pick one or the other. And that's why I just find the inaction on the part of Bloom and Brian Cashman so confusing, you know, especially for Bloom. It's like the, if the whole focus is the future, then why didn't you do anything for the future? Like, why? Why did you just keep James Paxton? Why did yeah. you keep Adam Duvall
0: like I've called about Luis Severino, but it, the phone keeps ringing everywhere I call. I just uh, no one picks up
1: and like the, the Yankees are in a slightly different position because I, I don't think, you know, they are two main guys like we talked about who I think would have been uh the, the ones for them to sell, considering that Severino wasn't going to bring them anything at this point. And you given see that the... tweet
0: that went viral um, that someone picked up about like Severino had given up a, an absorbent amount of runs over his last like three starts. It was not impossible. Yeah, it's it's something
1: down. obscene. His ERA over his last three starts is like 12. It's amazing. Yeah. But, like, granted, Severino has torched his value. Given the news that came out about Domingo Herman today that he is yep. entering an alcohol abuse uh, rehab and is not going to pitch again this season, doesn't seem like there was really anything you were going to get from him. But Harrison Bader and Wandy Peralta, in particular, two guys who are going to be free agents next year, who I cannot about. Bader imagine. made the most sense to me. Like, that was that, the one
0: I had circled. That that's what I don't, what I don't what's what's the that point?
1: That one I don't get. Why are you yeah. keeping Harrison Bader? What yeah. is the point? If you think this team is not good enough as currently constructed, to warrant expending resources to improve the playoff position, then why are you keeping a guy you're not going to bring back? Yeah, What's the point? What are you doing? Similarly, if Wandy Peralta is a very good left-handed reliever, but a free agent at the end of the season, 31 or 32 years old, not a guy you're going to give a long-term deal to. So move him. What is the point of hanging on to him? I think you saw... This is something I I, I kind of, I, I, you know, the White Sox, I think, had an okay deadline for the most part. They really only had the choice of selling. But the one trade of theirs I really liked was moving Jake Berger for Jake Ader, sending Berger to mm-hmm. the Marlins for Ader, who at uh, one point was the Marlins' top pitching prospect behind Yuri Perez, had Tommy John, has taken a little bit of a step back. Berger is a guy, it was not a rental, is a dude who is under team control for a good long bit more because he's, you know, he, he's, uh, injuries delayed his his MLB debut. He was a former first round pick, but that's a flawed player that you don't necessarily you're not going to build around, mm. you know. And I think the White Sox looked at him and recognized if we can get something of value for this guy, why not move him? Yeah. What does it matter? Like, especially I mean, granted the White Sox had an easier decision to make because they are terrible and are clearly in teardown mode. And uh, just my my brief thing on the White Sox. I don't really understand why Rick Hahn is getting to teardown after tearing. Rickon teared it down, built up, and gets to tear down again without having accomplished anything in between. I his job security is astonishing to me. That what does he have to do? Does he have to take a shit on the field at this point for the White Sox to fire him? I I don't get it. I'm assuming at the end Jerry of the Reintorff season Jerry Reinsdorf has done, checked but... out a long time ago.
0: Jerry like we we it's like we tune into Jerry Reinsdorf. What's going on with Rickon? Who?
1: who? What? The White Sox? What are they? Who are, who are the White Anyway, it's it's <laughs> You know, you've got to be able to pivot to those opportunities when you see them and recognize if someone's willing to give me something of value for something I am not going to hold on to long term, then yeah. do it. And again, I understand James Paxson has value to the Red Sox for the rest of the season because one, I don't think Bloom has, ex- you know, again, the Red Sox and Yankees are not in the position the White Sox where they are still in the playoff chase. You know, there is still a chance that they could squeak in even without doing anything. And regardless, you still need someone to pitch the innings to end the season. And the Red Sox don't really have much starting pitching depth at all. But I I, then it's for me. It's like, then I I don't know. I I just don't understand the reluctance to do anything in either direction, you know, and and I get it. You can dangle guys and say, well, if you meet our insane asking price, we'll do it. But otherwise we're not obliged to do anything. Then what's the point? What are you doing? You got to do something. You've got to make the most of what you've got. Otherwise you're just treading water. And I think that's the feeling for Red Sox fans. And I think Yankees fans are starting to feel it too. When, whenever we discuss anything that isn't Aaron judge or Garrett Cole, that these two franchises just seem like they're treading water right now. Mm -hmm. They're stuck in this weird no man's land of, well, we're not bad and our payroll will keep us pretty much ever from being bad because we simply spend too much money to be the A's. Mm -hmm. But we also don't seem to be keeping up with other teams when it comes to player development. We've made some bad contract decisions. We've built these rosters that don't really fully function that well. And we also don't have the Steve Cohen money necessary to pivot out of that you know, to make, to essentially do a rebuild in the span of a week yeah. Uh, as the Mets have more or less done, you know, they're in that weird place where it's like, we don't want to spend anymore, which means we're not really going to be able to build a roster that works all that well, but we're also spending too much to be bad. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's a strange place for a team to be. And I, I, I wonder, you know, I, I assume that Bloom and Cashman each have plans for what they want to do, but I'm starting to wonder if they're actually all that feasible because it just doesn't seem like the tools or particularly the resources are there to build the teams that they want. You, yeah. you almost get the sense that Bloom would be happier if the Red Sox were a disaster and he could just sell without even thinking about it without having to justify anything. I think, he I think also he's also just
0: preferred as he would prefer to zoom three years in the future.
1: And I think that's probably part of being a, you know, coming from that Rays front office and Rays mindset of, Whatever you do down there, it doesn't matter because no yeah. one's really paying attention. Your fan base is well. More... The Red Sox
0: have been conditioned to it now. Like what feels like forever ago was Mookie Betts getting traded. What it also feels like forever ago was them uh, moving on from Xander Bogarts. Like they... it does,
1: and it it's I think what what Cashman and uh, Cashman I think is an older hand at this, but I think he's in a weird place because the Yankees have never been this kind of mediocre under him. Yeah, you know this is the first time they've really been consistently just average, if not flat out bad. And this team, this Yankee team, is not good. It yeah. is not a good team. Um, I, I think they're wrestling with how do we deal with a franchise where the expectation is every single year contend. Yeah. When something goes wrong, what are we supposed to do? Because we, I, I think there's probably a feeling we can't tear it down. We yeah, and you just-
0: both now have ownership groups that aren't going to keep you in yearly contention like that's you are the not other part be, you, yeah. you
1: have ownership groups in the Steinbrenner family and and John Henry and um, whatever the giant conglomerate now is that owns the Red Sox and Liverpool and Roush Racing um, that doesn't really want to spend anymore because they're over leveraged or in the case of the Steinbrenners just i maybe just don't even have that money anymore yeah it, it, it's or a the weird, interest like or the George interest I think, that's, yeah. I think that's also part of it John Henry has won four World Series as the principal owner of the Red Sox yeah I don't think he really cares anymore beyond the team not being an absolute laughing stock, which I don't even really know if that matters to him because he never talks to the press. He never makes public appearances. He mm. has completely walled himself off from the criticism that I think is necessary to drive a team to do better in a sense, you know, when you don't have to hear fans telling you that you're a dumb shithead for not doing this or that. I mean, granted that that's a, you know, you shouldn't have to hear that. But I think it also puts you in a place where you kind of get disconnected from what's actually happening on the field. When you're more concerned with well let's keep these let's 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 improve these profit margins let's keep costs down because i don't really feel the need to spend you know this isn't a mike illich situation where it's like i want a title before i die he's already got them what is the incentive for john henry to spend more particularly when he's also got liverpool to worry about and a nascar team and whatever else he's looking to invest in along with fenway sports group you know similarly with the steinbrenner family they're more, they are more They if they want a world series they can go down to the room where the Yankees keep all the replica trophies or whatever and just mm. go count them if they feel like I, I just don't I think that they're more interested and I think the similar the same can be said of the Cubs with the Ricketts family I think the same can be said of um oh what was I gonna say I think I, I, but I think maybe those three franchises in particular because of what they represent and because of how historically great and, and at least maybe not great the Cubs have not been historically great but at least how important they've been in the history of baseball, that they almost function more like museums at this point. Where it doesn't really matter what happens on the field at any given point. And granted, the Cubs, to their credit, did not sell, they held firm, they actually did a little bit of buying. They're committed to to this as well. But I think those ownership groups feel like, look, we're the Red Sox, we're the Yankees, we're the Cubs, whatever. We don't have to do shit anymore. You're gonna you're gonna buy tickets no matter what because you're a bunch of dumb sheep who don't know how to let go of us. Sorry, like there there's just not that incentive, I think. To work that hard anymore for those championships that have already happened, or to really to develop a team that doesn't—it's not even really a team anymore. They're more of an amusement park than anything else, you know. And and that that extends too, I think, to the the fixation now on real estate development. The Cubs with Wrigleyville, the Red Sox have announced they're going to do a whole giant uh, real estate development of the area around Fenway Park. Obviously, the Braves did that with the area around Truist. That is, you know, I I think Mike Bauman made the joke for us at one point. I'm going to paraphrase it because I can't remember it exactly. Uh, owning a baseball team is basically owning a real estate venture that just happens to play baseball sometimes. You know, it's Well, that's what everyone's
0: doing. Like they're trying to all like there was a whole piece in like Front Office Sports, I think, uh last week about this that everyone's trying to recreate what the Braves did. Yeah, because that's where the
1: money is. That's what give that is where the guaranteed money is. And then you don't have to worry about player salaries or costs or anything. Real estate just makes money without you even trying. It is a perpetually money generating passive scheme for all intents and purposes. And I think you know, I know when when
0: I own a major league baseball team in the future, John, I get in it for the real estate.
1: That's that's to me. That's always been my dream. As a young boy, I always dreamed of one day I'm going to buy the Boston Red Sox and open a <laughs> bunch of hotels near Fenway Park
0: to that make it all worthwhile.
1: I, I think I the, think the, the problem World is, Series
0: are cool, but like it's really the sustainability it's, of yeah, the it's, the housing around. It's the, the it's that
1: social network quote. A million dollars isn't cool. You know what is cool? Developing property around the ballpark so that you can make <laughs> passive income perpetually in a high inflation market, like. That that's or a high inflation, uh, an inflationary market with high interest mm. rates. Like that's just that's just how these guys operate. Because again, these guys are not team owners; they are businessmen. You know, these are businesses for them. These are not just the, the, the days of again guys like Mike Illich, who were running the team explicitly because they want championships. Those days don't really exist anymore. Well, like, those owners not, do not really exist anymore. I was gonna like Kerr is one of the few guys, but and even the he, businessmen Steve just seem the to the care
0: business. about sports a lot more in the past i think the modern businessman cares about sports significantly less
1: i think and i think this is something we've talked about when it comes to to bring illich up again like chris illich who now runs the tigers yeah i don't think he really gives a shit about the detroit tigers i yeah. think this is just a thing he inherited from his dad that he is obligated to take care of but has no real interest in i think similarly with the steinbrenner family i don't know that they care that much about the new york yankees as a baseball team which is okay care-
0: because it's like you're born in it. it's like your dad this was your dad's thing and yeah, you were like
1: yeah, Kids they care. They care about the New York Yankees as a money-making enterprise, yeah. and the the on-field performance of the Yankees does not really impact that anymore. The Yankees also, are essentially hide out, too big right? to fail. Like-
0: you don't have to like John Henry's not out in the bub- the the public sphere like you no. said like if you're he's a, like
1: he's a billionaire who can just be on one of his eight yachts for the rest yeah. of his life. it, it doesn't matter. None of this matters to him anymore. All yeah, that matters is, that the thing is making money. Yeah, you can get mad on sports radio
0: about it, but it does doesn't like. There's no. no you can't get to any. Of it. Like they're just they're Look, secluded.
1: We, we live in an era where the rich and powerful have never been more immune to consequences. Yeah, in every shape. And I think we're seeing that to a certain degree, especially again with these teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Cubs, where their owners treat them as money making enterprises and essentially amusement parks Yeah, you know, where it's like put the bare minimum in to make the thing operate functionally. And that's all we need to do. The rest will take care of itself. Go baseball, go baseball. I mean, it's it's it, it, I, it's funny to like to turn this whole thing into like one endless owner sucked thing, but it's like <laughs> Again, I, I think that's just also what happens too when you have a deadline where not that much happens and where it really yeah. just ends up being, I mean, the main takeaway from this deadline was the teams that were already in contention by a good margin made themselves better. Everyone else didn't really do that much, except for mm-hmm. the sellers who did what they were supposed to do. Like the White Sox sold as they were supposed to. The Cardinals sold as they were supposed to. You know, the the teams that had to sell sold. I don't, I, and I think that you know from a loser standpoint, like. I don't really know that there are any seller team. I think the Tigers are the one team where I'm like, what the hell were you doing hmm. with the Eduardo Rodriguez stuff? Like, you know, the guy has a no trade clause. You know, Los Angeles is one of those teams that he will, he does not want to be traded to. Why are you trying to make that trade happen? What are you doing? Why don't you have a backup plan when the trade obviously won't go through? Because Eduardo Rodriguez for entirely, it doesn't even matter what his reasons are. It is in his contract. He has no obli- He has no obligation to do what the team tells him to do in that regard. He doesn't want to go there. what are you? What, why are you even talking to the Dodgers in the first place? Yeah. What, what is the like? Why? That that one I, I didn't really get. The Tigers to me had a very bad deadline in that regard. I they they came into the deadline and I think I think their main goal coming into the deadline had to be trade Eduardo Rodriguez. He's gonna opt out at the end of the season. We're not gonna get anything for him back because we can't make him a qualifying offer. He's gonna leave for literally nothing. We have to do something, and they didn't damn do it, which. Boy, I mean, I know we talked a little about the Tigers. Maybe gets, no, that that team is just seems kind of stuck in the mud for the. I don't care future. about the Tigers.
0: They're just stuck. They're. I don't cares?
1: care for the Tigers. I love all my MLB teams equally, but I don't care for the Tigers. Um, and I guess the thing like, when you look at winners, losers too, it's like they, I don't really know that you can say definitively. Like, oh yeah, this team really won. Like, yeah, Texas got better. Houston got better. The the Angels. I think the, tried, Well, I
0: know? think baseball playoff fans won. Because I think you're looking at a scenario with like the Orioles, the Blue Jays, the Rays, the Rangers, um, the Astros, and then, of course, unfortunately, we have to put an AL Central team in there. But then in the NL, Speaking you have of, the like, Diamondbacks, the, the Phillies, the, twin... the Marlins, the Brewers, the Braves. Like, I I think it's going to be a pretty loaded playoff yeah, situation and that's on both I sides. Should,
1: I should say, too, that I'm not, I, I don't think it's going to be a bad rest of the season or a bad postseason. I'm really, really looking forward to it. I think the postseason
0: is going to be very unpredictable.
1: I just there was just not that element of chaos because I don't think there I don't think any team really felt it was in that position. It's like we have to do something really, really big, oh. in part because I think that the little wild card contenders all more or less looked around and went, I don't really feel like doing this either. Um, I, I was going to say when you mentioned the AL Central, I like that not only did the twins do absolutely nothing at the deadline, but also that the Guardians sold because they are mm. always going to be this way no matter what happens. Well, it was like I, a weird sell buy where they they were like they immediately were like we
0: wanted our first baseman of the future because we're moving on from Josh Bell and like we are gonna do that like it was this weird galaxy brain thing where it's like we're not actually selling because we we got this guy who can't play yet but like yeah. we're gonna like yeah like,
1: great so, yeah Manzardo's a good piece or uh, a good player he's gonna be a guy who is in the he's in the high minors he's probably gonna yeah. make the team next year um, you know I, it's just funny to me that the the central division is so pathetic that you don't have to do anything at the deadline, and in fact, can make yourself actively worse yep. and not really suffer any consequences. The Guardians think... are winning
0: the AL Central. I don't know why we keep doing this like the the twins are winning the AL. The central. twins Another... got
1: themselves swept by the Royals ahead of the deadline and then went, "Nah, we don't actually need to do anything. We're fine. We're good. It's all good. It's great. Here. The AL
0: central gets to host a playoff series, John.
1: It's again, I will keep saying this until it happens. Get rid of divisions. If you're going to have a balanced schedule, they don't make sense anymore, and it is ludicrous to allow a team like the twins or the, or the guardians to host a postseason series when by all rights, they shouldn't even be in the postseason in the first place. If the twins were not in the AL central, they would be like two games out of the wild card right now. The guardians, yeah. I don't think are even above 500 at the moment. They just got no hit the other night. Like it's real. And like, the the NL Central too. The, I mean, the Reds. I think were another team that that for whatever reason looked at this deadline and just didn't do anything, despite the fact that they had major, enormous needs in the starting rotation that went completely unaddressed. Really, don't understand the deadline for them. The Brewers at least did some soft buying by getting Andrew Chafin, and uh, who else did they pick up? I've already I've already forgotten.
0: Um, uh, I'm gonna pull this
1: up now because I don't want to just say because I mean on 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 his own Andrew Ch- Andrew Chafin, lovely lovely reliever a guy who looks like he was formed out of every citizen in Milwaukee and just kind of glommed Bradley together. Bradley Blalock. Uh, well, yeah, and trading away Luis Urias, who was a guy I think they could afford to trade away because he just had, you know, no longer Mark in the Canna. picture for them. Mark Canna. Another, uh, that was mm. also a, a pickup I like. Carlos Santana. Again, a lot of smaller moves, but moves like that make sense. Like everyone in the NL Central now. Yeah, th- those are moves that make sense for the Brewers and where they are. And that's not a team you ever really expect is going to make the big deadline splash. Like, that. Yeah. that's just not in them. Um, but yeah, I think particularly the Reds, And the twins, I know that, you know, because of the division they're in, it's easier for them. But I I, I don't get how if you're either of those teams, you know, you're in a position to win a division and you just do nothing. When they're real, they looked left you at the
0: Braves. They looked right at the Dodgers and they're like, eh. nah, nah. <laughs> But, that, but
1: you, you never know. That's the thing you never yeah. ever know. Look at the Phillies. Look at the Braves. Look at every wildcard yeah. that makes noise in the postseason. You don't know until you get there. And I think that's what I dislike so much about this current era of baseball and the way these teams operate is none of them are willing to say, yeah, but anything could happen yeah. because it's baseball. Anything could happen. Well, we know why, because you get fired. Yeah, Dude, and that's, that's the thing. These those guys, are things that get you fired. Yes. You this is a risk-averse sport because these guys want to keep their jobs. Yep. Um, and that sucks. I I mean that's that to me is just what I find frustrating. It sucks. It sucks that these none of these teams have that real like positive chaos energy. Not Rockies Chaos Energy. Although I need to say uh there are two there are two people in particular or two things I want to shout out for this deadline, what I really love. One, the Rockies had a normal deadline. Yeah. For the first time in like forever, they actually made trades that they should have made. I don't think that really made them any better but they at least got guys who might help them in the future in exchange for guys they don't need anymore and that's what you're supposed to do as 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 a as a bad team at the deadline the other the other one i want to shout out bob nightingale got a trade right he broke the justin verlander trade he got the details right granted he said that the astros were trading logan gilbert to the mets which is obviously incorrect but Bob broke a trade. I'm so happy for Bob. He got in there. He made his mark. He even had an exclamation point in that Verlander tweet. So happy for Bob. It, it just we're, We were all rooting for you, Bob, and you did it. You did it. Thank you, Bob. Bob Nightingale is one of my deadline winners, and I'm, I'm going to put that down.
0: John Taylor, fangrafts.com, all the best coverage on the trade deadline. (laughs) We do
1: have a lot of trade deadline coverage. If you missed any of the deals, we wrote up quite literally all of them. All, Mm. I believe, seventeen, the 17 that happened on Tuesday, plus all the ones that happened in the week prior. uh, We have, if you go to our site, you will find our trade deadline roundup uh, that has coverage of every single deal. Plus, we have Like I said, Ben Clemens wrote A Deadline Winners and Losers. We're going to have Dan Symborski do a piece on which teams improve the most. We're going to have Eric Longenhagen go through a list of the prospects who were dealt and kind of ranking them. So, you know, we're not quite done with the trade deadline in terms of coverage. And if you want to come find more, come on over to Fangraphs. Become a member while you're at it. $10 a month, $60 a year for ad-free browsing plus more. You get some of the best prospect coverage in the game. You get some of the best analytical coverage in the game. You get uh the chance to buy a cool t-shirt that has the Fangraphs logo on it. You get you, you get plenty. So come on to Fangraphs where you get baseball stuff a lot.
0: There you go. John Taylor, always a pleasure my friend, and I will talk to you next week.
1: That's good. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah.